0: With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey
1: everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. Researchers hail a new rice breeding effort as a breakthrough. An international team, including researchers at the University of California, Davis, has successfully propagated a commercial hybrid rice strain as a clone through seeds with a 95% efficiency. According to the researchers' conclusions published in Nature Communications, the development may help lower the cost of hybrid rice seed, allowing rice farmers worldwide to obtain access to high-yielding, disease-resistant strains. Historically, rice has been costly to breed as a hybrid, with previous yields improvements of only about 10%. That was today's California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News Report, and now let's get into our show headlines. Farm Bureau and Agriculture Future of America signed an MOU. The American Farm Bureau Federation and Agriculture Future of America signed a memorandum of understanding during the 2023 AFBF convention in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Mark Stewart, the president and CEO of Agriculture Future of America, says the MUO formalized the work the organizations already partner on.
2: This does two things. One, it formalizes their intentionality to support young people pursuing careers in this industry. We've had a relationship and a partnership with Farm Bureau for many years. This just shows the intentionality behind it and their commitment to it. But in a formal sense, it just documents all the things that we said we were committed to doing.
1: The MUO heightens AFBF and AFACE efforts in building leaders for the agriculture industry through cross-promotion efforts of organizational objectives and events.
2: We've got a lot of industry that support our organization. And they want these young people to either uh, to be hires of theirs or uh, to be customers of theirs. And so in a general sense, the exposure that we can give them to who is representing this industry, what the issues are, where the jobs and internships and experiences are, all those things broadens the perspective of a young person. Right. So that, that's step one. Step two is not every AFA student that comes through one of our experiences is going to go back to the farm. Uh, they may, um, but they're in some way, shape or form going to make this industry better.
1: Stewart says getting youth excited about careers in agriculture takes the entire sector.
2: That really starts well before we're engaged with young people. We engage with college students and young professionals. They've already made the decision. They're already committed. It really needs to start much, much earlier. We hosted a dialogue on human capital over a decade ago with the Farm Foundation and one of the panelists then, this is the one that struck me, every kid growing up in the 70s and 80s wanted to be an astronaut. How do we make ag the new asset? How do we get that kind of exposure to young people, especially when less and less of them are coming from production agriculture backgrounds? And so that's the challenge collectively for a lot of us.
1: NAFB contributed to that report. And now here's Brian German with back-to-back agriculture news.
3: As part of the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill, a national vineyard acreage survey covering all 50 states could be on the horizon. The spending bill encourages the U.S. Department of Agriculture to reinstate the five-year vineyard and orchard acreage study after being eliminated due to budget cuts more than 10 years ago. The National Association of American Wineries has expressed enthusiasm for USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service to resume data collection and reporting. The exact language of the bill notes that the purpose of reinstating the survey is so grape, wine, and juice producers can remain competitive and respond to challenges in the industry. Executive Vice President and Director of Government Affairs at Wine America, Michael Kaiser, said in a press release that, quote, this step is very encouraging in bolstering our efforts to secure reliable vineyard data for the industry. The abundance of rainfall is helping address salts in the soil profile of orchards. UC Cooperative Extension Orchard Systems Advisor for Yolo, Solano, and Sacramento counties, Kat Jarvis-Sheehan, said that growers that have been irrigating just the bare minimum needed to keep the trees going will be seeing some benefits from the recent storms.
4: Not a lot of people being able to leach salts or boron out of their soil, out of the root profile, and with water tables dropping that often leads to sulfur water that's left in the groundwater. So people have been irrigating with saltier water in the last couple of years. So there's a significant salt buildup in the soil profile, or at least there was until uh, nine days ago. So, I mean, in addition to recharging groundwater in general, leaching salts out of the soil profile is a really nice benefit to this.
3: I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network.
1: Thanks, Brian, and stay tuned as we'll have more of the today's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices.
0: Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fels Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net.
1: Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight.
5: In today's National Spotlight, agriculture faces a handful of issues in 2023, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. During a panel discussion at the AFBF Annual Convention in Puerto Rico, AFBF Chief Economist Roger Cryon told attendees that global food security is rising.
6: After decades of improvement in food security around the world, we've got growing numbers of folks who who not really find it easy to feed themselves and their family. There's been a big bump. About 200 million more people were food insecure in the world in 2021 than there were three or four years before that. And there's a lot of things behind that.
5: After 40 years of good fortune, Cryan says there are many challenges in 2023.
6: The fall of the Soviet Union opened up markets in those former Soviet republics, the same Soviet Union that couldn't feed itself and had to buy grain from the U.S. in the 70s. Now Russia and Ukraine are two of the world's bread baskets. We've got continuing benefits from the Green Revolution and biotech and ex- precision ag. We've had benefits, enormous benefits from the expansion of free trade that allows folks to do what they do best. We've had stable growth and stable inflation, and we've had a lot of peace, and now we've got a lot of challenges.
5: He says the Russia Ukraine war is one of the bigger challenges, among others.
6: War has hit us in a very tough spot in terms of world food supplies, because not only have been grains cut off and production will be down in Ukraine next year, fertilizer supplies from those parts of the world are also been cut off. There's been a move away from free markets in places like China and Russia. We're falling behind on free trade. Free trade is no longer popular. We have perceived environmental challenges and real environmental challenges. We have a growing population, and not only is the population growing, but they demand a better diet. And we have rising farm input costs.
5: And inflation and interest rates are another challenge facing the economy and agriculture.
6: We are facing the highest inflation we've faced in 40 years. That was all because the Federal Reserve Bank chose to stimulate demand in the economy where supply was the issue. and Now they're trying to deal with it by raising interest rates. These interest rates that the Fed sets really have a big impact on short-term interest rates, which raises the cost of operating loans and so forth. But it also, the combination of uh, rising inflation And the higher short-term interest rates has contributed to higher long-term interest rates. Hopefully, these have already peaked. But all that is promising some problems in 2023 and 2024. We'll be talking about the cost of credit in 2025 and beyond. We'll be talking about the burden of debt.
5: Still, there are positives for farmers and ranchers. U.S. agriculture, facing record production costs, also enjoys record farm income. AFBF advises farmers to plan, know your break-even points, manage controllable variables, and reserve working capital. Senator Chuck Grassley last week announced he intends to reintroduce the Farm Credit for Americans Act. The legislation bans the federal government from allowing foreign individuals to obtain credit and financial services through the farm credit system. The Iowa Republican wrote the legislation with Senator Sherrod Brown, an Ohio Democrat. Specifically, the legislation prevents the Farm Credit Administration from underwriting foreign buyers seeking to purchase U.S. farmland. It would amend the 1971 Farm Credit Act to ensure foreign nationals cannot obtain financing through federal government-backed financial institutions to purchase American farmland. Grassley says young and beginning farmers here at home should not be squeezed out or compete with foreign investors subsidized by the American taxpayer. According to the USDA, foreign ownership of U.S. farm increased 60 percent between 2009 and 2019. Increasingly, young and beginning farmers are competing with institutional investors, such as pension funds, endowments, and even professional athletes who are diversifying their financial portfolios with prime farmland. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for
1: today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman.
7: Well, in today's Livestock News, U.S. Bison is seeking access to the Japanese market, and importers in Japan are eager for the product. John Harrith has more details.
8: U.S. bison is seeking access to the Japanese market. The industry recently had an opportunity to make the case to Japanese officials in a visit to some U.S. bison processing facilities, according to Jim Matheson, Executive Director of the
9: National Bison Association. We've been lobbying Japan for access for, for bison imports for some time now, working with the foreign ag service primarily. And we have started the process years ago and so happened that when we were in D.C. in September for our fly-in, we were sitting with, down with the Foreign Ag Service, and they let us know that there's a Japanese delegation uh, that was coming to Colorado in December. They expressed interest to tour a bison processing plant. Uh, which, as I understand it, is is kind of the first step for their consideration of of opening up for our products. So, fortunately, we have our biggest bison processor based here in Colorado in Rocky Mountain Natural Meats. We met up at Brush Meat Processors uh, in Brush, Colorado, which is their kill plant, and had a great tour of the the bison slaughter facility there in Brush. Uh, we're able to see some animals uh, being processed. The group also toured a bison fabrication facility in Henderson, Colorado, and enjoyed some
8: bison ribeyes. Matheson says there is strong interest on both sides of the Pacific in opening
9: up bison trade. We are a, a relatively small sector of American agriculture. and We processed about 75,000 head of bison last year here in the U.S., which is a record year for us. Um, that said, you know, we, we do have members in our association that are seeking to export actively to Japan, at the same time, we have folks in Japan that are seeking bison imports. Uh, so we're trying to connect those folks, of course, and and show the governments, uh, both U.S. and Japan, that, that there is significant demand there. There's virtually no competition for bison from these other countries. You know, bison is uniquely American. Literally all the product you'll see in the marketplace uh, was born and raised in North America.
8: For more about USMEF and our work to promote beef, pork, lamb and bison around the world, visit USMEF.org. For the U.S. Meat Export Federation, I'm John Harris.
7: Thanks, John. And the 2023 Cattle Industry Commission and NCBA Trade Show is coming up next month and it's not too late to register for the big event. The NCBA Trade Show is more than just a trade show. It is an experience. They're bringing classroom-style education to the trade show floor with the Learning Lounge. It is where attendees can stop in and enjoy 12 informal face-to-face talks with leading companies in the industry. Plus, Cattle Chat will feature 20-minute TED Talk-style sessions focus on the ag and beef industry with a special spotlight session focusing on sustainability. The Stockmanship and Stewardship Demonstration Arena booth offers unique educational experiences led by stockmanship experts Kurt Pate, Dean Fish, and Ron Gill. Learn more on the National Cattlemen's Beef Association website ncba.org. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West.
1: You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost, a natural, organic based, all in one solution. Contact your soil health specialist, Tom Fantazzi, at 209 312 4016. CineGro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now.
5: Millions of dollars in donations for agriculture from a restaurant chain. That's coming up on This Land of Hours. Culver's Thank You Farmers Project has now eclipsed $4 million raised since its creation in 2013. Through initiatives organized by Culver's on a system-wide level and the fundraising efforts of local restaurants throughout 2022 alone, the program raised $750,000 toward its mission of advocating for the positive impact agriculture has on the world. Proceeds raised through the Thank You Farmers Project directly support those actively bringing positive change to the agriculture industry. Culver's efforts in the Thank You Farmers Project came to life in three main areas throughout 2022, including agriculture education and supporting the next generation of leaders in agriculture, sustainability and building engagement around Culver's commitment to supporting agriculture's role in climate-smart solutions for our planet, and gratitude by promoting the ag industry and helping their guests gain a deeper connection to their food. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West.
10: This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McCowan. One of the big issues in ag law and tax in 2022 involved damages caused by dicamba. It's a broad-spectrum herbicide that was first registered in 1967. But over the past several years, spray drift issues associated with dicamba have been happening. I'll be back in a moment to discuss a prominent dicamba drift case in 2022. But I want you to know that Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company has sold farm and ranch land and farm equipment in 40 states. Learn how the Schrader family can help your family. Visit SchraderAuction.com. That's S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R Auction.com. In 2022, a prominent dicamba drift case involved a peach farm in Missouri. The farm claimed that it lost its peach crop when dicamba-tolerant seed was released with no corresponding dicamba-tolerant herbicide that could be safely applied. As a result, the peach farm claimed that nearby farmers illegally sprayed an old formulation of dicamba that was unapproved for in-crop, over-the-top use, and was highly volatile and prone to drift. The peach farm claimed its annual peach crop revenue exceeded $2 million before the drift damage, and an expert asserted that the drift caused the plaintiff to lose over $20 million in profits. The jury awarded the peach farm $15 million in compensatory damages and $250 million in punitive damages. The trial court reduced the punitive damage award to $60 million, and the appellate court eliminated it entirely on the basis that the trial court failed to properly calculate it. A new trial has been set on the punitive damages issue. The typical causes of spray drift are application when winds are too strong or a misapplication of the chemical. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen.
11: 2022 featured continued reports of how the Russian invasion of Ukraine impacted agriculture in that country.
12: We only had one rocket in our village. That's nothing compared to bigger cities or to farmers in the south, east or the north of the country, intentionally bombing civilian infrastructure. They are destroying the electricity infrastructure. And we have a few very big nitrogen fertilizer plants in Ukraine, and they can't work now because they don't have the electricity, and gas obviously also comes from Russia.
11: That firsthand account comes from Ukrainian farmer, a member of the Global Farmer Network, Cornelis Kes Huizenga. Speaking this fall before farm broadcasters, Huizenga shared what ag faces in Ukraine. He admits he's fortunate on several fronts. This crop, a dairy farmer, is still able to operate.
12: Their farms have been bombed, dairy farms have been bombed, dead cows, dead pigs lying all over the place. That's just terrible to see. And those guys are not farming anymore, of course. It's too dangerous there. Or their fields are still mined. Ukraine lost like 20, 25% of its arable surface to the war.
11: Hoisiga also sold most of his commodities prior to the start of the war. In terms of what was left.
12: We only had 5,000 metric tons of corn left and that normally takes us a week to bring to Odessa and now it took us four months to sell it but because we had to truck it to Romania because the Black Sea was closed. That's again minor problems compared to the guys in the occupied
11: areas and in the front line. Another silver lining for Hoysiga diversification and expansion of his operation. While sales of crop commodities have slowed down, his dairy operation continues to have consistent business.
12: The milk has always been taken by the creamery from our farm. They never missed a day and they paid regularly and the processed
11: milk is consumed within Ukraine. That gave us a regular income. And while a decade long dairy operation expansion stopped as the war started, Hoisinga decided after several months to resume expansion plans. Part out of necessity. We
12: can't sell the havers. There's no market for it. We can't export them. We can't sell our slaughter cows really for a good price. So our existing barns are overcrowded. In the beginning of the summer, we picked up construction again and expanding our dairy. Part out of need for stability. We have 350 employees. A lot of them work on a dairy farm. It's not only the stability of the company, it's also the stability of our
11: employees. And part out of Hoisinga's optimism. Sooner or later, this war will be over. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington DC.
1: You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news.
0: Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fels Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net.
1: Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments.
13: In the rain. This is John Block from Washington. It took a lot of votes and too much time, but we do have a new Speaker of the House for two years with Biden as president, Democrat control of the Senate and the House the liberal-leaning Democrat team had a lot more power to dictate policy. Well, California Republican Kevin McCarthy was elected as Speaker to lead the House. Power in D.C. is now divided, and we don't expect very much to get done anytime soon. Congress is supposed to write a new farm bill. Well, one hopeful reality is that farm bills are much more bipartisan than a lot of other legislation. So keep your fingers crossed. You can be sure that the Republican leadership in the House will do what they can to cut spending. And I support that. We need to position ourselves so that someday we can balance the budget. Another concern that should be a very high priority is our open southern border. When Biden took office two years ago, he ordered to stop construction of the border wall. And his actions made the border more porous. And here they come. In two years, under Biden's policy, we have seen one million more illegal crossings than came across under Trump in four years. At last, just this week, President Biden finally visited the border, and he announced that he will take some restrictive actions that some that worked for President Trump. We need immigrants, but they should be legal. Just this week, the Department of Energy reported the XL pipeline that President Biden shut down on his first day as president, cost thousands of jobs and billions of dollars. That line would have carried 800,000 barrels of oil from Canada to the Gulf Coast. So in the last two years, instead of keeping our energy independent status, we've been emptying our oil reserves. And we have been begging Saudi Arabia for oil. We've we been to cut a deal with Venezuela for oil. We just keep begging. Last subject of interest, EPA tells us that food waste in the United States is responsible for twice as much greenhouse gas emissions as Commercial aviation, one-third of the food in the United States is unsold or uneaten. Until next week, this is John Block from Washington.
14: David Hightower, author of the Hightower Report, posted some interesting thoughts on inflation in his weekly newsletter. He says that while this is not the end of rising interest rate, it's not the end of inflation, we could be seeing the beginning of the end. In his opinion, Wall Street has already started to factor in the long-awaited pivot point, as he calls it, where the Federal Reserve leaves rates unchanged for months at a time. Now, he cites as evidence... The dollar index, for one, declining 12% since the end of September. Natural gas down more than 50% since September. Pork prices down 10% in just a month. Soy oil down 13% since November. And he says used car prices posted the largest ever year-over-year decline in 2022. Now he reiterates this is the beginning of the end and there are more rate hikes ahead. The first ever Crop Nutrition Week is being brought to you by AgriLiquid. It's a virtual week of learning, connecting growers and economy experts with five days of online learning. It's February 6th through the 10th. You can register online, CropNutritionWeek.com. That's CropNutritionWeek.com. This is the Bottom Line Report. We look for the grain and livestock trade to start higher here this holiday-shortened week. I'm Mark Offold, wishing you a profitable day
15: that nfl music has a tough edge to it doesn't it almost conjuring up soldiers going to battle in the most difficult of conditions and in fact
16: if you pick just about any crazy weather phenomenon, and you can find a football game that's been played in it
15: agriculture department meteorologist and a football fan brad rippey we picked just a few of the crazy weather games of the past just for fun and so let's
16: go back to december 31st 1967 The game that's become known as the Ice Bowl.
15: The NFL championship game, the warm-weather Cowboys against the cold-weather Packers in Green Bay on the coldest New Year's Eve ever recorded in Green Bay, 19 degrees below zero that morning, but it was a lot warmer by game time, 15 below. Now today, that game might have been postponed, but back then in Green Bay, no way. So let the game begin. Uh, that opening whistle, that was about the only one heard the whole game. The metal whistles kept freezing to the referee's lips, which had then to be pulled off along with the skin. Ow! And that bled, and the blood immediately froze, so the whole game was run verbally by the refs.
13: It was ridiculous. It it got—it just couldn't get any colder than it was.
15: Chuck Marcin, Packers running back or skating back that day because...
16: The heating system under the field broke. So the field was just an absolute block of ice.
15: There was slipping, sliding, lots of pain as players hit the frozen turf and finally the cold weather Packers won it 21-17. Another cold weather game with a twist? The so-called snowplow game. That brings
11: back a lot of bad memories.
15: (laughs) (laughs) At least for Miami Dolphins coach Don Shula. December 12th, 1982, the Dolphins and the Patriots in New England Brad Rippey says.
16: "There had been rain the night before the game. The field froze over and then heavy snow fell pretty much throughout the entire
15: game. They could not keep that field cleared. No score for most of the game. Finally at the end, a chance for a Patriot field goal, but the snow was so deep, there was no way for the holder to place the ball. No problem though. Patriot coach Ron Meyer calls timeout, sends a little tractor out there with a snow brush on it, clears out a space for the kick. The kick is good, the Patriots are happy, and Shula, well. I later petitioned the commissioner that it was the most unfair act of that's ever been perpetrated, and I wanted to score a change. But that didn't happen 3-0 Patriots. Time for one more. (laughs) Ah, the famous Fog Bowl. New Year's Eve, 1988 playoff game, Philadelphia and Chicago in Chicago. Brad Rippey says partway through the game, a wind shift.
16: Brought in air off of Lake Michigan and pushed a fog bank across the stadium to the point where you could not see from one end of the field to the other. Visibility just a few yards.
15: So forget the passing game. Broadcasters and coaches up in the booths couldn't see anything. And
11: there's even talk now of suspending the game because the officials can't see the ball
15: but they kept playing bears win at 2012 and there are many more games we could talk about the rainbow the mud bowl and on and on
16: the purists and count me as one of those think that football should be played outside in all the elements
15: after all he is an element man i mean a weather man gary crawford for the u.s department of agriculture washington
1: this is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news, at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost, a natural, organic based, all in one solution. Contact your soil health specialist, Tom Fantazi, at 209 312 4016. Cinegro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now.
0: Welcome to Voices of the Valley, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Brought to you by Reedley College, educating the next generation of agriculturalists in advanced technology, efficient production practices, and food safety. Now here's your hosts of Voices of the Valley, Dennis Donahue and Candace Wilson. This is Dennis
8: Donahue. I am the director of Western Growers Center for Innovation and Technology, and I'm co-host with my very good friend, Candace Wilson. And we are back for another, uh, and I think you'll find a very interesting episode of Voices of the Valley. Candice, welcome. Great to see you.
1: Nice to see you too.
8: We're uh, getting ready to start a rainy new year.
1: Oh my gosh, so much rain. It has not stopped raining in Northern California, and I'm delighted.
8: Well, I'm told we do not have the latitude of uh, breaking a newsflash at Voices of the Valley that the drought's over. Apparently, this needs to happen for a couple more years. (laughs) uh,
1: California will screw it up
5: somehow, and we'll (laughs) declare it over here in the next couple days.
8: There you go. Anyway, I am uh, delighted to introduce to our audience uh, Simon Pearson, who is the founding director of the Lincoln Institute of Agri-Food Technology, which happens to be in the United Kingdom. So uh, we're talking across the pond today. Simon, welcome.
17: Hi. Yeah, I think it's good evening my side. I think it's good morning your side, isn't it? So. Well,
8: we're it's it's new. It's high noon. So uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So that that drink you were talking about earlier, we don't get to have them yet. So, <laughs> and hopefully our conversation won't drive you to drink. So anyway, terrific to have you join us. Uh, we're both really excited about it. And uh, let's just kind of jump in with the basics. Uh, introduce yourself. You know, because you really have a very interesting background. So talk a little bit about your background, and then bring us to the present. Uh, of what you're up to at, uh, at the Lincoln Institute.
17: Yeah, so thanks. So I'm Professor of Agri-Food Technology at Lincoln in the UK. So we're, we're just north of the City of Lincoln, which is on the East Coast. I'm from a farming background. My father was a uh, brassica grower, so broccoli, cauliflowers, all those sorts of things. So very familiar to what you've got over there, Dennis. So um, then I, uh, I went to university, I was sort of an agricultural engineer and uh, did a PhD, kind of lecturer at university. Then I worked for Marks & Spencer, which is a big retailer in the UK in supply chains. So it's sort all of the sort of the trading side of it. And then uh, I had an epiphany and then I went to be a farmer in Lincolnshire, uh, which is a big agri-county of uh, the UK. And I did that for um, about eight years. And then, uh, so I've done about 15 years in industry, marks and spencer and farming. And then I decided to go back into academia and I uh, founded uh, the Institute, which is in the UK. So we, we specialise in robotics, AI and sort of ag tech applications, mainly for the produce industry.
8: Well, you've really been involved, you know, the ag tech movement, uh, I mean, if you put a time span around, you know, it's, let's say a decade plus, so you've really been there since the beginning, uh, but always involved with robotics and uh, how, do, how do you address some of these issues? of You know, there's some labor challenges. And, and in fact, uh, the UK in particular has, uh, I mean, really has some extreme labor issues uh, and is certainly the mother of invention, but you jumped right into the whole automation space right yeah. away.
17: Yeah, I, th- I think UK, maybe because of Brexit and COVID and all those. Uh, we, we're sort of, we've been the canary in the coal mine for, I think, that a lot of the global problems in the produce industry. And uh, with Brexit, particularly the industry over here, we had 63,000 seasonal migrant workers, mainly from the EU, Eastern Europe particularly, picking, harvesting produce, uh, coming over every year, doing great jobs, you know, doing, working really hard. And then because of politics, that number's then suddenly declined and then you've got covid that's declined again then ukraine there's all the ukrainian workers in the uk so all the men particularly gone back and it, it's just one thing after another it's extraordinary you can not make it up really and the reality is that the industry is under an enormous pressure so we're talking lots of crop losses lots of waste all sorts of labor gaps etc so what do you do about it well it's a really hard problem so the government's thrown some policy at it, and so they've licensed, I think, now 45,000 workers to come in the UK for harvesting, but still a deficit from the 63,000 we used to have. And so we've got to automate, and we've got to automate as quickly as possible, because we're trying to automate really difficult jobs, you know, cognitive jobs, which need a lot of human cognitive skills, hand-eye coordination, perception, speed. That's really hard. That's the top end of the heart of robotics. But the government, fortunately, in the UK, I think because of the Brexit things, thrown quite a lot of research funding at it. So we've had a bit of a lead on it, but it's really difficult. It's not a sort of thing where you can go out, get a load of engineers, build a machine. It's difficult. It's complex. Digital technology right at the cutting edge. So we're trying to try drive as hard as we can. And we're driving as hard as we can because the industry is threatened and we're trying to respond to what they need.
1: I'm curious, as you have been working with different technology companies, which technologies are further along than where you think we've made the most progress? And on the flip side of that, which segments where we really need to spend more focus and kind of need to get caught up?
17: Yeah, we did it a bit uh, differently. We almost reversed it a bit and tried to moonshot it a bit. And we actually went for the what we felt was one of the really hardest problems and just to pick a strawberry for robotics is really hard because you've got to have state-of-the-art vision systems you've got to be able to detect the fruit you've got to tell when it's ripe you've got to move pick it really without bruising it because it's really soft then when you pick it of course you've got the next problem is what do you then do with it you've got to then start to move it and then you need an autonomous vehicle so you've got the top end of complete you've got the perception you've got the the handling and then you've got all the autonomy and you've only got to look at autonomous cars and know how difficult that is. So we started at the hard problem, a bit like a moonshot. And then as we actually then did that work, we sort of went, oh, hang on a minute. There's a few low-lying opportunities here, commercialization opportunities. And the first one we looked at was using robots, the autonomy that we developed in the robots, to apply UV lights on crops. So we've done a big farm in the UK this year with a company called Saga Robotics, one of the spin-outs we've been working with. They have 35 hectares of soft root treated with UVC on strawberries and that completely cured powdery mildew quite amazing so it's done once so it needs a bit more robustness just to prove that it worked but it looks really promising and it wasn't the uvc that was the innovation it was the autonomy and we did i think thirteen kilometers in a year to an accuracy of five centimeters and that's the same distance from the uk to new york back to so really good first application would cure the disease. Then we sort of thought, oh, hang on a minute, if we've got a vehicle, we can start to do fruit counting and crop forecasting. So now, we've now now got companies that spin out, companies are working with to do the forecasting bit, which for supply chain management, it's absolutely critical. Then we've got other companies starting to now think about the picking side. So as we have gone on, we found these layer of commercialization opportunities, which has spun out, but it's only spun out because we did this moonshot approach where let's really think of something really hard, and as we do something hard, we're going to throw out some interesting solutions. And I can tell you, we honestly didn't think about all the low line stuff when we started off. <laughs> we thought, look, well, go pick some strawberries. How hard's that? Actually, it's really hard.
1: <laughs> You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. You're going to need
4: me.
5: You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. Support us at 4h.org.
1: You've been listening to the AgNet News Hour by AgNet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. The upcoming Activate 23 Conference. AgSafe's annual conference, Activate 23, is coming up next month. CEO of AgSafe, Teresa Keene, shares details about the upcoming event.
18: This is our flagship event, Activate 23, um, Activate the Activate Conference has actually been going on for uh, 29 years now, and uh, it was a, an event created by industry for industry, and it focuses in on our industry's most vital resources, its, its people. And uh, we offer more than 50 different sessions in English and Spanish and cover a wide range of critical topics on the fundamentals of health and safety, such as mental health in the workplace, and also compliance planning.
1: She adds, the conference is for everyone within the AG industry
18: it's across the spectrum on the agricultural space from production to um, coolers and warehouses and it really focuses in on your supervisors those folks that are on that front line um, helping your workforce but also your safety and human resource professionals your managers and your executives we've got sessions geared for each of those different categories and uh, really try to talk about About kind of what's cutting edge, what's coming, but also giving folks practical solutions to issues that they're dealing with. And the other fantastic thing about the conference is that you're with 400 other folks that are dealing with same issues and um, challenges and opportunities, and having that opportunity to network with one another, to see old friends, to gain new friends, and and to talk about you know what's happening and how how we can all support each other. I think that's what makes our industry different than others, but also AgSafe and activate what makes it very special.
1: The conference is being held February 7th through the 9th. To register, visit AgSafe.org.
3: The abundance of rainfall is helping address salts in the soil profile of orchards. UC Cooperative Extension Orchard Systems Advisor for Yolo, Solano, and Sacramento counties, Kat Jarvis-Sheehan, said that growers that have been irrigating just the bare minimum needed to keep the trees going will be seeing some benefits from the recent storms
4: not a lot of people being able to leach salts or boron out of their soil out of the root profile and with water tables dropping that often leads to saltier water that's left in the groundwater so people have been irrigating with saltier water in the last couple of years so there's a significant salt buildup in the soil profile or at least there was until uh, nine days ago so i mean in addition to recharging groundwater in general leaching salts out of the soil profile is a really nice benefit to this.
3: I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network.
1: One of the perks of having international exhibitors at the World Egg Expo is the opportunity for collaboration. Marketing manager for the World Egg Expo, Jennifer Fox, shares about the benefits of making those connections.
19: So that's one of the things that we don't see every year in real time, those connections that are made. But again, one of the top three reasons people they say, say they come to this show is for the networking. They're researching, they're buying product, and they're networking. And those connections, we know, somebody has a piece to your puzzle that you don't know how to solve yet, you're probably going to find them here. And that's, that's going to happen. We just have a lot of space and a lot of folks here. And we're really Mm -hmm. proud of that, that this is a place where people want to come and figure out how to do more and better business Mm -hmm. and get to talk to each other, see each other face to face. I mean, that is more important now than ever. And then with equipment on the grounds that they can start seeing and seeing how it could fit together and really elevate their offerings and talking to real uh, users mm-hmm. our producers that actually use the equipment or have a need and that's what you'll see a lot too we know farmers are sometimes crazy engineers but also they really solve their own problems mm-hmm. because every farm is a little different but they have a lot of similar needs and so being able to see these products and connect those dots based on the different things they see across the grounds and exhibitors being able to go mm-hmm. see other things on the grounds go to a seminar go to try something um do a test drive somewhere um Those are the important things that we see happening here. And sometimes, again, like I said earlier, we don't, as a staff and volunteers, we don't see it happening in real time. We see it the next year, in a booth, in the top 10, in discussions with people and really hearing those success stories. It's very exciting to keep putting a show together and encourage those things, make more spaces to do those things, encourage those conversations are so important.
0: To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Daniel Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halbertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.